All right, that intro music only means one thing. Time now for On The Mark, powered by Booster Juice. Visit a location today to refuel, refresh, and re-energize or download the new Booster Juice Rewards app to earn, order, and enjoy as we welcome in Mark Spector. Good morning, Spec. What's going on? Kev, how you doing this morning? You know, I'll be honest. After that World Series game last night, not great. Not great. I, I think, yeah. that, you know, what are we doing here? You know, I was talking about it off the top. Like, I mean, is this what you want to see in, in the World Series? Do you want to see, you know, Joe Mantiply start one of the biggest games, in you know, in, in your franchise history and then come on with uh, Castro and Nelson and Frias and then, well, Ryan Nelson was okay. But, I mean, even, you know, Andrew Heaney was no screaming hell during the season for for Texas and, you know, probably should have never, ever gotten a start, but I understand with injuries, I understand it all, but that's what we've become. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Do you? No, who wants a bullpen game in the world series, right? Nobody wants a bullpen game. I mean, are you telling me you don't have, you know, that's where baseball's gone is they're running bullpen games all season long where Mm -hmm. they go out and they, they predict, okay, it's on Thursday, we're going to run a guy out for an inning and a half. We're going to use five different guys. And that's where the game's gone. I don't like it. And at this time of year, for the fall classic, right, the <laughs> World Series, someone's running out of bullpen game and getting crushed doing it. That's a bad look for baseball, man. It is. And, I mean, you got to be sitting there in the commissioner's chair, Rob Manford, going, this is what we've become. I mean, yep. with the with the rosters the way they are, with the schedule the way it is, and you know, I understand that it's hard and uh, to to line up your starters and things like that. But and with spin rate and the, the the everything on the arms is way harder than it was before. But you and I remember, you know, the the Kurt Schillings, you know, that's even that's earlier. But for guys like you know, like you know, the old guys like. Uh, Bob Gibson and everything, you know, even Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> Those guys were getting run out every three days. Yeah, they were. Listen, baseball's going to a weird place. Like, it's going to a place where it it's, you know, they, like, I always use my example of this is Kerry. Remember Kerry Wood, mm-hmm. the pitcher, when he, you know, set Cubs. the strikeout record mm-hmm. for the Cubs? He threw a slider that you're not supposed to be able to throw. It was it was so unbelievably hard and broke so sharp, nobody could hit it. Well, guess what? His arm lasted a few years and it blew out. Mm-hmm. That's why no one does it because the human body's not capable of keeping that up. So baseball's at a point now where all the pitchers throw mid-90s. It's not supposed to be that way, but it is. So we've changed the game so that guys, because they can't throw as, as long. So mm-hmm. now we have more pitchers throwing shorter times. And, you know, we, we've we got analytics involved, which has made it harder for everybody because now we know exactly where to position the guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, the analytics has, has been good for strategy but bad for excitement in baseball. And it's uh, we're at a bit of a crossing point here. We're at a bit of a, uh, you know, it's all come together. And what we saw last night was a lot more about what is wrong with baseball right now <laughs> than what is right with baseball. So how many days rest did home run spec need back in the day? Oh my God! Well, forget it. Like I'm not throwing the ball at 90 miles an hour. So, you know, those I played country ball, man. We'd go to a 
tournament and pitched three days in a row. <laughs> but that's different. Like, come on. Um, I'm kidding. Anyway, if you're telling me you can't have four starters that can mm-hmm. get you through, right, in the playoffs, in the big leagues, you can't run a four-man rotation for the three weeks that the playoffs last, uh, I I don't see why you can't, but I guess you can't. Mm-hmm. With Mark Spector, uh, you were, like, just uh, off topic here, like, those sports days were the best, weren't they, back in the day when you went at them? Oh, you got to say that again. You're coming in funny. So the sports days, you know, when you were pitching back in the day, you know, senior ball and yep. things like that, um, wasn't that just outrageous amount of fun? You'd go to, you know, wherever, and, and as you said, you played all day long. Uh, those were great times, weren't they? Yeah, you know, the, the one of the most, I mean, I grew up playing ball, of course, out of Edmonton, and we went to tournaments around the province and stuff, but probably the most fun time, I was playing in the Sunburst League for a team we called the Edmonton Cubs, and we were what you call an intermediate senior team. So the, they had like the Tigers and the Blue Willow Angels, they were better than us, and they were more serious than us, they practiced more than us, and they usually beat us. Uh, but then we were in the middle tier. So that whole North Central League, right, that Paul Riopel was running, yeah. you know, with Westlock and Barhead and Andrew and, and Morinville and <laughs> Laclabish, and it always changed, but there's all these great talents. They loved having us come up because we were at the same level as them. If they brought the Tigers up, the Tigers going to win that tournament. So we spent our summers for a few summers, Kev. Yeah. Like Westlock would have their fair, right, Westlock days or something. And we'd go up there. They'd have a ball tournament. We'd play in a ball tournament and have the fair. It would have a, it would have a cabaret. It would have a casino. It would have a big <laughs> dance. And then two weeks later, you'd go up to the fair in Lac La Biche and you'd do it up there. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, you'd go up to the fair in Barhead and you'd do it up there. And those tournaments meant something in those little towns, you oh. know. So yeah, we had a just a ton of fun traveling around the province, playing ball in those tournaments. You know, you won your games, you lost your games. In the end, I don't really remember much about that. But, uh, but we did have some fun at those tournaments. Yeah, they were a lot of fun, as we guessed with Mark Spector, every day at 8 o'clock on Sports 1440. Text coming in to one 1440 Parkland Matt said the Vinny interview was so good as we ran uh, yesterday's Vincent DeHarnay interview in the Oilers locker room. And again, couldn't wipe the smile off his face. And the one thing that I noticed about uh, Vinny DeHarnay's stats, spec as a sixth defenseman, He's even Steven right now. His plus minus is zero on a team with a minus 10 goal differential. Well, it's funny. Uh, both him and Broberg have been pretty good. And guys who aren't playing many minutes. You know, I think they've taken turns having pretty good games. And neither guy has made you say, oh, boy, that guy shouldn't be here. Oh, boy, that guy should stay out of the lineup. Um I, I think the next step, and it's coming. Someone's going to get hurt. They always do. Mm-hmm. The next step here is to see Broberg and Darnay in your lineup and both guys playing a minimum of, you know, 14 minutes. Like, you know. Maybe I, a little hot. They are, but, yeah. Yeah, I get you. What's that? It might be a little hot, but it's – I get where you're coming from. Yeah, well, let's face it. Yeah. They're, they're probably not going to play together. So someone's going to play with Ekholm, and that guy's going to play 14 minutes, and the other guy's maybe going to play whatever. So the point is, I, you, I'm, I'm from the school. It's like Adam Ernie. Mm-hmm. The guy played eight minutes, right? I'm not saying Adam Ernie's a great player. He's a fourth-line guy. He plugs away. But he's playing eight minutes a night. You can't play well when you play eight minutes. When you're Broberg or DeHarnay, and they run you out on a game for four or five or six minutes – 
don't say to me, how'd the guy play? Mm-hmm. You can't play well when you're playing five minutes. You're just trying to survive and not get scored on. So I'm looking forward to seeing – I think we know what RNA can do because we watched him a lot last year. I'm kind of looking forward to watching Broberg get some minutes. And then at least if he's no good when he gets the minutes, we can say, okay, Broberg's no good. But what I'm, I can't get my head around – there's people who are watching him play five minutes ago. Ah, he's not doing anything for me. Well, no kidding, he's not doing anything for. He's not doing anything for anybody. Fair assessment, Mark Spector, Sports fourteen forty. Your thoughts on the well, Adam Ernie getting um, you know assigned to Bakersfield after he clears, and then Sam Gagne uh, from a PTO <laughs> to a contract and should be in the lineup. Uh, you would think tomorrow against Dallas. Well, I thought the stat that got lost here yesterday when a lot of people are complaining that it should have been Raphael Lavoie because he's got seven points in five games and he's ripping it up down there. Sam Gagne's got five points in three games down there. So I guess my point would be if it's a meritocracy, he's scoring at just the same pace mm-hmm. as Lavoie. And I think I've been pretty clear on this for me. You don't bring Lavoie up and put him on your fourth line and play him whatever Ernie was playing, eight, nine, ten minutes. That's a waste of time for Lavoie. Maybe later in his career, sure, not right now. Let him thrive down there. Let him play first line minutes. Let him play the power play. Let him pile up some points. And then at, at some point, you're going to have an injury in your top nine, and Lavoie's the guy to fill it. Right now, they're trying to rebuild their, you know, work on their bottom, well, bottom five on this team. And Gagne's the guy for the job. He's mature. If he comes up and doesn't play, does it really matter? doesn't matter that much. Uh, and he's playing well down there. So mm-hmm. I predicted that this would be the move. It was the move. It's the right move. There will be time for Lavoie. Don't worry, folks. You're going to see him this mm-hmm. year. You're just not going to see him this time. That's all. What are your expectations for Sam Gagne? I mean, I I would think that he's probably worked harder uh, in his overall career uh, to get back from these hip surgeries than maybe he's ever worked before. Well, Maybe. You know, he's a different player now. Like, he came in the league as a first-round pick, and now he's a guy hanging on, and God bless him for it. He's doing – you know, here he is, mm-hmm. hanging on so tight. He found another job at the NHL, so uh, good for him. Uh, you know, he, he's another guy. He's got to come up – fourth-line guys, their priority is don't get scored on. And then if you get a chance to chip something in, great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're, if you're waiting for Sam Gagne to score a hat trick, I think you're a little bit misguided. <laughs> uh, hopefully he can create a little bit. Hopefully he, you know, I, I don't know if he's killing penalties or not, but mm-hmm. let's take a look at him. I think that a bit of this, Kev, is what do we have in this player? And when the chips are down later in the season, assuming the orders put their game together and they're in the playoffs, you know, can we count on this guy coming up and helping us? Or do we need to go to the market and find someone else to come up and help us? Uh, do you remember, Speck, uh, it was in a scrum earlier this year with Sam Gagne, and you asked him, what would, uh, whatever, 35-year-old Sam Gagne say to 18-year-old Sam Gagne when he was drafted here, you know, uh, sixth overall in 2007? What did he say? Well, you don't remember? Well, he, he was he didn't I know. I don't what, remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was standing right beside you, so uh, I remember because it was a good question. And it was like he, he basically said, you know, I don't I don't know what I would say, uh, because it was such a long time ago. And when he came up, it was such a different time in where the Oilers organization is. I think that's kind of what he was getting at. His time when he was here at the start, and then he had a second stint as well. It was a little quicker than maybe some people forget. But he kind of said that 
you know, this is way different. I know where I am as a person now. I know where I am as a as a dad, as a, as a as a husband, as a family guy now. Um, I know what I want to do moving forward. Um, but I, you know, back then I didn't know anything. It was kind of like one of those moments, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, so. and you know what? This is kind of cool for Sam Gagne because let's face it, there's not a lot of years left for Gagne. You know, I'm not sure how many, but I think it's fair to say not many. Uh, he's on a pretty good team. I think we still think that if this team puts it together, they can take a run at things. And he's back with the team that drafted him in the first place. And and frankly, the the you're looking back at those lineups with those old order teams. Uh, any hopes that we thought they might have had of accomplishing something, now that I look at the rosters, probably was a little misguided. Mm-hmm. They weren't very good teams, Kev. No. They weren't. Sam Gagne was not surrounded with a lot of talent here. And uh, this is a chance, a little bit of a do-over in Edmonton. He, he's on the fourth line now, not the first line, but he's on the team, and it's the same crest. And uh, it'd be a pretty nice story if you got to play a playoff game or two, wouldn't it? Well, you remember, <laughs> yes, it would. Remember going to the rink and, and you know back, you know, in two thousand and seven or eight or whatever it was, and going, all right, you know what, Gagne, Cogliano, and uh, Robert Nilsson, we might have something Robert here. Nilsson. We might have yeah, something right. here. <laughs> like yeah, that's, that's what, what we thought. That's what we were. That's what we were holding on to. Well, we didn't, I mean, you don't know until you know. And you know what? Cogliano turned into being, was a very good player. He just wasn't yeah. a top six player. It's a bottom six player. And Sam Gagne had a hell of a career, to be honest. Like, he's playing a very good career. But it's sort of been more middle six, not mm-hmm. top line. And Robert Nilsson looked great until he didn't anymore, and he never played in the NHL again. <laughs> well, so, yeah. You know, they were all young too, right, Speck? Gagne was just, he came in as an 18-year-old and Cogliano was just 20, you know, and I mean, I think they were all living together and Robert Nilsson was 22. He was the oldest guy there, you know? So, man, that was was a different time. Let's just say that. Oh, Um, is it ever? For sure. Uh, I will uh, see you down at the rink today, Speck. uh, And uh, we'll have a little chit-chat. I've got a couple stories that I want to tell you about some old baseball and fastball stories from Saskatchewan. Okay, I can't wait for them. Not for air, not for air. Can't tell you you on the air, so. (laughs) Can't tell me on the air. That means they're probably a pretty good tail. Yes, they are. (laughs) Uh, Okay, thanks, Beck. We'll see you down there later. All right. That's uh, On The Mark, uh, energized by Booster Juice. You can get the boost you need at Booster Juice. When we come back, we will explore and break down the James Harden trade. 76ers to the L.A. Clippers with Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. When we, when we come back on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440, stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. We will get to tons of your texts at one 401 in a moment. King of Fort Nasty, Parkland, Matt, Chris, Walter, Jiffy, Steve, and more. Uh, first up, uh, we want to talk a little bit of basketball with um, one of the top writers going on in basketball in the States right now, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Keith, uh, welcome to Sports 1440. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. So, uh, you know, it was trade deadline day in the NFL, but, you know, you could argue that the biggest trade that happened yesterday was in the NBA. What was the been, what's been the reaction with the James uh, Harden trade from a, a Philadelphia perspective so far? I mean, it, it's, it's weird. You have, uh, I think the fan base in Philadelphia is a little split. 
you know, there are certain people who are saying, come on, you mean this is all you can get? I mean, you could bring back, we, we want better talent in return. But then there's other people who are just elated because, you know, it, it was starting to, you know, it had all the signs of turning into a circus the longer that James was going to be here. Mm-hmm. And now the 76ers could just move on and, and, and go about their season. So you have those uh, people extremely excited that, that the trade happened. Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer is our guest on Sports 1440. I don't, I can't uh, keep track of how many times uh, Harden has requested a trade uh, over his career. Uh, was this kind of wearing thin on the fan base as well? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things, um, it, you know, like initially when he came there, they're like, oh, no, nah, this is just going to be the place that he wanted to be at. And then once they, like they said, once he asked out, it was like, wow, didn't he do this? At the other spot, didn't he do this? At, yeah. You know, and 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 Houston and 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 uh and and Brooklyn. So yeah, the, the people were a little uh, peeved by that. Was there um, reports of the rift between you know ownership? Uh, were those reports as high as what the I guess rift actually was? You know, I think really the rift. I mean, I'm not. You know, I don't think it was as much with the ownership. It was really with him and Daryl Morey. Right. You know, he felt like Daryl Morey wasn't 100% honest with him. You know, that's a guy who he's, he's had a relationship with for over a decade. And, and you know, these two guys were extremely close. And the thing is, he felt like, you know, for whatever reason, you know, uh, Daryl made some promises and he, and he, didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't deliver. Also, he, he also mentioned how as soon as the season was over with, you know, Daryl stopped communicate communications with him, and it was one of those things that these two guys just talk all the time on a daily basis. So it was the, I mean, that was really the problem that James had was how his relationship with Daryl Morey had deteriorated. Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer is our guest on Sports fourteen forty. Did I guess Harden? Push the issue uh, when he kind of picked up his contract uh, option in June for 35 mil? Is that kind of how, where this started, I guess? Yeah, basically, you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, he was under the belief that, that he felt like he wasn't going to get more money, right? He also realized that in free agency to go or, or to go to the team that he wanted to go to was the Clippers. Mm-hmm. And the Clippers didn't have enough cap space available to give him that money. So he thought, like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to opt in. I'm going to opt in, get this money, but the Sixers are going to trade me to the Clippers. And that's what he felt like was going to happen. It, it ultimately did happen, but he was under the belief that, that, that as soon as he did it, it would be something that would have happened this summer for him. Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer breaking down the James Harden trade yesterday um, in the NBA. So the pieces that came back, um, Keith, in the trade, how will they help the Sixers moving forward? You know, a lot of people don't like it. Don't like the don't like the don't like the uh, moves that were made. You know, I, I like them, and the reason why I like them is because you know I, I feel like that they're going to help them a little bit with with depth. When you look at the Seventy Sixers bench. Um, it was a little bit better than last year, but but they but it wasn't as deep, right? Um, 
so that that's going to help out. But also, you know, with the draft picks that the Sixers acquired in the trade, mm-hmm. you know, what they can do is they can use those draft picks to bring in a top-flight player. And the players who they acquired um, most likely could be traded out to get that guy. Now, again, though, those players aren't going to probably help the team that they're going to go to, but what they're going to do is, is they're going to be expiring contracts that's going to come off the books. So what it is is, is basically they picked up uh, a lot of tradable players for, and for salary um, mm-hmm. purposes, and they picked up draft picks that a team that has a superstar player that's looking to rebuild and start a new slate are, are going to want. Are going to want. Uh, so Joel Embiid is the guy I assume you're talking about, the um, reigning uh, NBA MVP. Uh, does Joel Embiid even put this team on his shoulders a little more than he has, uh, Keith? You know what? I, I, I think he doesn't have to do it in more than he has now. I, I think that, you know, Joel's still going to be a dominant guy. I mean, when you look at it, you know, Joel was the two-time, um, you know, is the two-time reigning scoring champion. He's the MVP. But I think like with Tyrese Maxey, their, their point guard, the guy who replaced James Harden mm-hmm. as the point guard, you know, he, he's, he's ascending into one of the NBA's uh, best young players. And I feel like if Maxey continues to do what he does, then Joel won't have to feel a need to have to carry him on a nightly basis. I feel like Joel's still going to, you know, average around close to 30 points a game. But I think Maxi is going to be up there as well. I think we're going to see the Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxi two-man game when we thought we were going to see the Joel Embiid and James Harden two-man game. I just feel like Maxi is going to take Harden's spot. Speaking with Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer, Philadelphia 76ers, uh, Tyrese Maxey's where I was going to go next. Uh, what have you seen from him, uh, how he's building to be that kind of next superstar in the league and projecting to be, you know, one of the one of the top players in the game. So what have you seen, Keith, that you kind of, you know, that all indications point in that direction? You know, the one thing is you look at him, he's so fast, he's explosive. I, I think the biggest the biggest thing that has happened to him, the biggest difference over this season was his ability to run an offense. Like, you know, before, you know, to turn the ball over, he, he, he looked a little bit undecisive. Right now, he's more deliberate and more deliberate in what he, uh, what he's going to do, and, and and he's only the first two games he only had uh, two turnovers. He had 15 assists. I mean, one turnover. He had 15 assists, one turnover, and he had 65 points. So <laughs> those are the things, right? But the, the biggest thing I will say about Tyrese Maxey that stands out to me is, you know, he's uh, the blueprint of getting better through work ethics, working hard. Like, he's a guy that's always in the gym. He puts in a lot of work, and that's enabled him to be a a late first-round draft pick to now being, you know, the co-star of the 76ers. Our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 is Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, Joel Einbead is a, a little lighter in the wallet, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's funny because when he did that, uh, he did that celebration, right? It's like uh, the wrestling celebration where you do like a little thrust. He, this isn't the first time that he's done it, right? Mm-hmm. And like last time he did it, he got fined. So as soon as he did it, I said, "Uh oh, <laughs> my man's about to fork out thirty thousand dollars again," right? 
And then when it came out yesterday, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's Joel, I guess when you make, when you make over $50 million a year, <laughs> you know, you can say, okay, I'm just going to give this the league a tip. I'll give the league a little tip, and everything is fine. He'll probably pay it in cash, and he'll probably give them like an extra $5,000. So here's to your Christmas fund. <laughs> That's just walking around money, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, you look at it because you think about it. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't know Joel Embiid's exact game check, but like James Harden's game, game check is over $300,000 a game. Right. So if you factor in that Joel's making way more money than him this year, yeah, that's like that's pocket change. You know, that's stuff that he probably keeps in his car, like you know, like in the um, in the in the glove compartment. (laughs) And like, oh, let me like I have some people reach for coins. Mm -hmm. He's reaching for like thousand dollar bills and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, you know when those guys get the per diem uh, cash in the envelopes, right? That that just goes in his big stack there, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Oh, man. He's paying the NBA back its money. <laughs> <laughs> Keith Pompey, Philadelphia Inquirer, is our guest on uh, Sports 1440. Uh, Nick Nurse, uh, obviously we know him up, up here quite well. What's uh, the transition been uh, in Philadelphia with Nick Nurse, and what's he like to deal with for you? You know, he's been, he's been great to deal with for me. Um, you know, right now with the transition, the one thing I'm going to commend him on is like this whole situation could have been a disaster, right? Like where you have a new coach, you're trying to implement your system, and you and you have this guy that's James Harden with the elephant in the room trying to get traded, whatever. But Nick kind of was like focused, and he had the guy, you know, locked in. You know, of course they had to deal with it. They had to deal with the questions and everything. But I felt like he did a really good job. And what he did was he went about it like, okay, I have this one group, but then if James is here, we'll just, we have to incorporate him, right? Now, luckily for him, James wasn't practicing and things like that, so he didn't have to – he wasn't scrimmaging, and he took the 10 days off, so he didn't have to, like, work on that uh, as much as, you know, people would think. But, you know, he's had them locked in, and when mm-hmm. you look at him, you see them play. Like, they play with an intensity. Guys are constantly moving. Guys are buying in. So – it's, it's a big difference in what it was last year, and that's not a knock against Doc Rivers. I just see, like, a new life, a new sense of urgency. Um, guys are, like, blocking shots, mm-hmm. uh, defending really hard. So uh, when I look at that, you know, I think that Nick Nurse has done a great job. So do you think the the Sixers are playing harder under Nurse than they were under Doc? I will say that. I mean, I, I will say that. You know, I, I will say that. But I also think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's some of his scheme. Now, the one thing is I will say this about it. Um, you know, like Joel Embiid, he, would, he, he had a couple games last year under Doc Rivers where he had a bunch of blocks. Now, mm-hmm. this last game, Joel had six blocks. But the, the, the team itself had 17 shot blocks. Now, you can argue that, like, they have different players. But, yeah, they, they just seem like on the defensive end, there's more intensity than there was last year. The, last year, they were struggling at this point. Like, in the perimeter, they, they, they just look really bad on their perimeter defense. Mm-hmm. Right now, they just seem like the guys are playing harder, yeah. Uh, Marcus Morris comes in, and they, he used to be with Joel Embiid, right, in, uh, in college? 
Well, he he's older than Joel. Yeah. He, he was in the pros by the time Joel got yeah. there. But there still is that brotherhood. You know, you have Marcus Morris, and you also have Kelly Oubre. All three of them are, are former Kansas Jayhawks. And yeah. and the funny part is, like, uh, you know, they have a, a little friendly banter, so to speak. When Marcus was with the Boston Celtics, you know, Marcus was kind of like the intimidator, the enforcer, mm-hmm. so to speak. So you always saw him and Joel getting up in each other's faces, <laughs> and everyone would laugh because you knew nothing was going to happen. Yeah, and Morris is from Philly too, right? Yep, yep, from Philly. He's he's from uh, the section called North Philly. In high school, he led his high school team to two state championships. So yeah, he's a he's a Philly guy. He's loved. He's beloved in Philly. Well, we're gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see how this uh, plays out. And I, I think, would you say the biggest point, uh, uh, Keith, is that the the distraction is no longer there. I would, yes, I say that. I mean, you look at it right now, they can just, you know, plan for the team they have. You know, you can't make any trades or you can't aggregate trades for, like, mm-hmm. uh, the guys they just got for at least two months. So it's, it's, one of, it's, it's one of those things where, for now, for the time being, they know what they have. You know that guys are going to come to practice. You know that guys are going to give 100%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know that guys are going to want to win. So, yes, the biggest thing is that there's no more distraction now that James Harden is going. Uh, Keith, thanks so much for your time this morning. Appreciate all your input, and uh, hopefully we can hook up uh, down the road. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really do. That's Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Funny how that trade worked yesterday, hey, Duke, because we were talking about all the NFL trades and what's going to happen, this and that, and then that thing comes down. And we're all like, this could be the biggest trade of the day. Well, it's so funny because usually it's the NFL that is notorious for stealing thunder from the other leagues because, as we all know, the NFL runs the the United States of America. It's, it's The world. It's, it's not close. And as much as the NBA is a huge market in and of itself, like in the middle of the summer, it could be the, a huge game on the MLB's date, and the NFL will say, oh, yeah, we're going to announce our schedule for the season next week, and that will take over headlines. And it kind of got a taste of their own medicine a little bit with uh, their trade deadline yesterday. And in the midst of the night, uh, James Harden, and finally getting his wishes and uh, out of Philadelphia. So. Yeah. Believe me, uh, over the years, the, the Elks or Eskimos back in the day felt the same <laughs> way about the Oilers for many, many uh, news conferences and things uh, like that. You know, we were talking about the NFL trade deadline yesterday. There were a couple big ones. I mean, Chase Young, the big one. Montez Sweat, a big one. We, and we were talking in the break, and, and maybe our listeners, I don't know where Vic is this morning, Uh and too bad. Playbook you know, Vic. Playbook Vic, yes. And too bad. I wonder if Vic was, was, I was hoping he would have been listening to Shireen Williams yesterday because she explained it perfectly about trades in the NFL, why they don't happen as much. It has nothing to do with the playbook. Uh, I was talking to a big football coach yesterday who shall uh, be nameless, but you know, he said, no, these guys, they can figure it out. It has nothing to do with the playbook. Uh so anyway, we were talking about the trades in the NFL, how we don't understand the currency. I just don't get it. So Chase Young, a former second overall draft pick, so he goes for a third-round pick. Now I get the contract situation. I get all that stuff. But, man, if you're going to give up a third-round pick for a guy that was drafted second overall, still contributing quite well, I think that's... It's harder to understand when you compare it to all the trade deadline stuff we see in the NHL where, I mean, if a guy's a UFA, 
you're giving up a first round draft pick and things like that for a rental. So I don't know, Duke. Do you have a, a comment on that? Do you? I, I I certainly have plenty of comments. I don't have an answer for you because okay. I'm kind of in the same boat. And I mean, the Chase Young one, yes, former second overall pick, defensive rookie of the year, Pro Bowler, all like the talents all there. It, it just kind of seems like maybe the motivation hasn't been there as much uh, after his first year in Washington. Of course, the big injury maybe playing a mm-hmm. role too. But even on the other trade, Washington made Montez Sweat has kind of emerged more so as the leader on that Washington defense, especially up on the line. And he only nets you a second round pick. Third. Ch- uh, Clay, or, um, uh, he, Sweat, Sweat went to the Bears for a second. Young went to the Niners for a third. Okay, Young's a third. Okay, Young sorry. was a third I, and Sweat mistake. was a second. No, no problem. Yeah, you're and, right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, Sweat and, was second. Yeah, And that's the same price yeah. that the Bears play, paid for Chase Claypool. Yeah. Which I would certainly think Montez Sweat had a lot more value than Chase Claypool at the time of the trade. And much like the Claypool trade, though, it doesn't make any sense to me for the Bears. This is a team that stinks. Pretty much top <laughs> well, they to have bottom. to sign Sweat. They have to re-sign they, him or not? Well, 100%. Like, this yeah. is a move that you're going to throw the bag at him and keep him there and try and basically start over again like they did when they um, acquired Khalil Mack from the mm-hmm. Raiders, right? And we all, and I mean, granted, the uh, price paid for Sweat a lot less than what they gave up for Mack. Uh, seems like forever ago now, but... Uh, yeah, that trade didn't make any sense for me for the Bears, but uh, I will give some uh, credit to... Uh, Declan Freddy Krueger of the uh, Lowdown with Low Tide. Ooh, uh, when he Freddy. joined us on Fantasy Frenzy, he said that he's a Bills fan. He said he wanted the Bills to go in and get themselves a cornerback. Mm-hmm. They did just that, getting Rashawn Gary from the Packers, so shoring up the back end of their defense. Um, and outside of that, I mean, the Vikings, they one body in, one body out. They trade away a really good guy from their O-line and bring in a journeyman so, quarterback to replace yeah. Kirk Cousins. Yeah. It, a little bit confusing. I, I, again, the currency is the word. Like, I mean, go back to last year with, you know, the the trade between the Bears and Carolina, you know, to move up to number one. I mean, you're giving up DJ Moore. You're giving up a whole bunch of stuff. And when you compare it to the trades right now, you for, go, for to move up, sir, right? Like something that you know what you're getting. Like uh, it, it's yeah, a much more I, qualitative um, what you're bringing in as opposed to a flyer on a draft. And yes, it's a first overall draft pick and the hype around whether it be Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or even Will Anderson, whoever the mm-hmm. Panthers were going to end up taking, <laughs> it's still a flyer. It's still a draft pick as opposed to something you know what you're getting. There's film on them. Yes. They have reps in the league. Nick is true coming in on the text line, Wayne, 833-401-1440. It's because the NFL draft is way deeper than the NHL. You can get starters rounds one through five more positions. Fair. Very fair. You still don't know if those picks are going to work out. I think you could say that a guy like Montez Sweat or um, uh, Chase Young is going to be on your defensive line for the next several years. And look who we have here. Look who we have here. Playbook Vic. (laughs) What time was that interview? I'll go back and listen to the podcast. I think he's talking about Shereen Williams. From yesterday? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Shireen joined us in hour four yesterday. Yeah. It, it, I'll double check that and send you a text, Vic, but I'm pretty she sure came it was on hour at four yesterday. 1020, yeah. She came yeah. on at 1020, so you can check that out, Vic. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a Niners fan, so I'm not complaining too much. Ha ha. Uh, we'll get to some of your hockey texts when we come back on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program, 844 in Edmonton. Looking for a high of plus six today. Is that Shenandoah, Duke? No. Oh, yes, it's another championship. Name that tune. Got to be fired up about that. Uh, text line open, one 1440 It's always open. Uh, get to some that were uh, a little earlier before we uh, hooked up with Mark Spector and uh, Keith Pompey. Eden, father of Arius, no relation. Um, 
Good morning. Is the talent in hockey in the in the NHL that much on the decline? Why do the cup? Why do a cup contender like the Oilers have to resort to signing Sam Gagne? You know, there's nothing wrong with this, Eden. And also, looking back at the text thread of old Eden, I I haven't seen one positive text from this guy. Is that would that is that am I on the right page here? He certainly seems to question the Oilers as legitimate. Um, Failures? You know, well, he, he thinks they are, I guess. Uh, he, he he asked if uh, yesterday if the Oilers were dressing up as cup contenders for Halloween. Um, and going back, he, he he needs convincing still, I guess, is the the wow. favorable way of saying it. That he's he needs a little more convincing that How the about- Oilers uh, can compete with the best in this league. And to answer his most recent question about Gagne, <laughs> there is nothing wrong with depth. Like. How about a cup of positive this morning? Let's just pour a little cup of Joe positive in that coffee cup, Eden. Come on, man. I have to go back and check uh, texts from Fridays since uh, Fridays are, you know, I positive saw, Fridays with Gregor and uh, feel good Fridays with us in the morning. That was a 20. Maybe well, he's uh, only positive on Fridays. I'll have to go back and check the check the logs well, from Eden. I got one that says, uh, do you have any idea where where and when Woodcross farewell party <laughs> is on Monday? How's that sound? Yeah, he he's... Uh, the father of Arius, no relation. Uh, he's He gets it. He doesn't like the Oilers for sure. Uh, King of Fort Nasty. Uh, morning, KK and Duke. What's your take on the Sabres this season? I watched them play a few days ago. Noticed this roster is coming together with some names we recognize. Uh, Thompson, Darlene, uh Power, Cousins, Tuck, uh, home province boy Krebs. They are 4-5-0, uh, and oh, but uh, most of the games have been close. Possibly a contender in a few years. That comes from the uh, King of uh, Fort Nasty. Um, you know, Jeff Skinner's off to a very good start uh, for the Sabres. Tage Thompson, you mentioned uh, Dylan Cousins. So I think they're uh, they're a team that is still trying to find its identity. They're trying to find their way. Um, goaltending will always be front row and center with the Sabres. Now, uh, Eric Comrie's gone on injured reserve, I believe. Uh, so they'll be going with Devin Levi and Uko Pekka Lukanen. So those will be the two goalies uh, going right now. Um, they still have, um, you know, on defense, I mean, yes, Rasmus Dahlin is uh, a Norris Trophy talent, but it kind of falls you know, in their third and fourth pairing, you know, Eric Johnson's getting a little longer in the tooth. He's 35 years old. Um, they've got, you know, Owen Powers, you know, he, this is a guy that's uh, next year is going to be making over $8 million a year. I, I mean, that's a contract that this is a guy that has to live up to that. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin, his contract clicks in at $11 million next year. So Buffalo Sabres, I like watching the Sabres. And I mean, they were one of the teams growing up that, you enjoyed watching for me just because they had guys like, you know, the French Connection, Gilbert Perrault, Richard Martin, Rennie Robert, and, and things like that. And they had some tough guys on defense. But I think uh, they're still trying to find their way. Uh, Walter, when we were talking about baseball with spec, Walter chimes in. In 1971, Fergie Jenkins threw 30 complete games in 39 starts. Fergie was on with Gregor last week. Uh, does that sound right, or was it this week? I think it was last week. But I anyway, believe it was last week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there that tells you everything. All these guys threw differently. Um, the spin rate, as Speck was talking about, Kerry Wood, the elbow torque, things like that. It is 
uh, different. Jiffy comes in. If you look at Vegas's team, do they manage their ice time better or do their top lines play top minutes and their fourth and bottom defense play minimum minutes like what's happening in Edmonton? I would say it's more balance in Vegas. They have a big, heavy fourth line with guys like, uh, you know, Carrier, who's a monster, he's 220 pounds. You know, Barbashev is a bigger dude. You know, they're they're missing guys on defense like Petrangelo right now, and they're not missing a beat. Um, and you know what? When you look at, let's just, you could just look at Vegas's um, stats. They Everybody's like, William Carlson has 11 points. Shea Theodore's got 10 points. Eichel's got 10 points. Chandler Stevenson, who has speed to burn, eight points. Mark Stone, he's only got seven points. So they have more balance, and that that's why you win the Stanley Cup. You win the Stanley Cup with balance. That's what they had last year, and uh, upward pressure from the third and fourth lines to keep everything uh, moving in that direction. Duke, you had a comment? Just to, to add to the Vegas thing, like you – you talk about the ice time, it is pretty balanced. And if you actually just look at like the raw numbers, that they actually don't differ that much from say the Oilers top to bottom. They're uh guys like Leon and Connor play more than say the top forwards, uh, but only by a couple minutes per game. Whereas at the bottom, they're pretty comparable. Their bottom pairing defensemen and fourth line forwards are pretty close to the same as the mm-hmm. Oilers when you compare them straight across. The difference is that every single skater that is dressed for Vegas so far this year has at least one point. We talked about the Oilers' third and fourth lines, the donut lines, as Gregor likes to call them. They were they've been shooting blanks up until Sunday. I think they got their first point from a third uh, from the third line. Like when you have Braden Pascal or mm-hmm. Pacal, I should say, this defenseman who's played eight games for them in the aforementioned place of injured Petrangelo. Like he's got a point on the board. Um, all a guy like Ivan Barbashev who you know, signed the big extension, he's got two points, but everyone else contributes. Nicholas Roy, and and so this is where you have the difference between a legitimate champion, a a real championship team, the one that won last year. They get contributions from up and down the lineup, and they're they're bigger. They're, they're, they're bigger, bigger. They're team. meaner. They're, there's a lot of differences between the Knights and the Oilers. But if you're just talking about comparing them. Uh, Minutes-wise, it's also about what you do with the minutes you're given. And Speck said it's tough to evaluate a guy when he's only playing a few minutes a night. I agree with that completely. But Vegas, their players that are only playing those 10 minutes a night, they're still able to do something with it. Jonathan Marchessault's the only player under six feet on the Vegas Golden Knights roster. That's that's insane. Uh, to have that kind of uh, size moving forward. Uh, Steve texts in, I find this interesting. Every coach that has coached the Oilers players' time on ice is almost identical to what it is today. Every fourth and third liner, the Oilers never ran four lines, never ran four lines since McDavid and Dreisaitl came into the league. That's how their lineup is built. It's top heavy. I understand what Gregor's saying about no... Uh, no one from the third or fourth line chipping in, that's going to come. These guys have to start finding some offense. I mean, you can't keep going like this. And and once that happens, then you're going to see more balance uh, come into play. Uh, This one I think was about Sam Gagne. Maybe he would have gotten a playoff game, Sam Gagne, if Holland didn't trade him for Mike Green. I I don't think that was the Mike Green trade. I never – I think it was – for Athanasiu, but uh, I have to check on that. Uh, RBS. Um, 
Uh, I don't even know what that is. Uh, Sabres just recalled local kid Brandon Byro. Ooh, that's uh, cool. That comes from BB. Maybe it was Brandon Byro that sent the text in. <laughs> uh, Brandon Byro played the junior hockey year. We've done. I did many stories with Brandon Byro over the years uh, when he was coming up, and he was uh, playing in Spruce Grove for the Saints. Played two seasons there, then went to Penn State under. Uh, I guess Guy Godowski when he was at Penn State because that's where he went. Uh, Guy Godowski, a local product that coaches at Penn State. So uh, he uh, got called up a couple of years ago. Uh, Brandon Byro played that one game. And we did a story on him when he was uh, got called up uh, a couple of years ago. But Rochester Americans last year, 49 games, 51 points for Brandon Byro. Sort of an undersized offensive product. And... Uh, Maybe we'll add some a uh, little bit of jump to that uh, Buffalo Sabres uh, lineup. Uh, when we come back, top of the hour, David Schlemko. We should get the over-under on Schlemmer here. We did it with Laddie last year. What do you say? What? I'll go 8.55. Oh, we're, when, when we're David... 45 seconds away from that. So, uh, oh. Oh, sure. <laughs> I was looking at the, the wrong clock. Comes around the okay. corner here. I'll go. Uh, well, okay. I'll give you a first choice. Uh, I will say a crisp 8 56-27. Okay, I'll just go 858. I think something's going on with Slimmer today. Could be too much. He might be in a Halloween coma. Could be <laughs> too much candy. Too many coffee crisp minis. Uh, so we'll check in uh, David Schlemko. Kristen Shelton, the NHL on ESPN at 920. That's coming up in the next hour. Um, before that, uh, let's get to a Sports 1440 update. Uh, don't miss your Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night as they take on the Dallas Stars at 7 p.m. Great tickets are selling fast, so secure yours now at edmontonoilers.com slash tickets and make Rogers Place the ultimate home ice advantage. Here is the Duke with a Sports 1440 update.